Hey Tiger, this podcast contains language and explicit themes. Okay, now begin. Babes, welcome to This Body, a podcast about being in a body with me, Sophia. The captain has turned off the seatbelt sign, so feel free to get up and move about the cabin. And whilst no meal will be served during this flight, you are more than welcome to smoke on board because this is actually a podcast, not a plane. And the best thing about that is the door can only fly open mid-air metaphorically and not literally as it did on a recent flight to South Korea where a man said he felt suffocated and thus decided the best course of action was to open the emergency door on the fucking plane. Air travel these days, am I right? My God, what a cursed proposition. If it's not a private jet, I'm staying home. I am broadcasting from the Los Angeles foothills, observing a storm warning in effect for a while longer, and it is coming down. Tinseltown is in the rain. I went out early to grab a coffee. It's crazy out there. <laughs> Landslides, coastal dramas, it's all happening. It's all happening. Growing up in New Zealand, I learned to drive in heavy rain. That's one of the hidden dangers here in SoCal. These people did not grow up in the rain and thus drive like psychotic people. Before the end of the storm, I'm sure there'll be several hellish freeway pileups. And so I am cozied up at home until storms end. So last week's episode on self-esteem was quite challenging for me. Who knew that having a podcast dealing with mental health would bring up less than fabulous feelings about oneself? But I guess within us all there is this private cauldron of emotions that needs to be stirred on the regular. The shameful casserole shall we say, of fear, rejection, and mortality. LOL. It's so uncomfortable. So I thought, hey, let's get deeper into discomfort this week with this episode. (laughs) Today I'm going to bull in a china shop my way through the topics of mean girl syndrome, internalized misogyny, And the male gaze. Oh my God, why am I doing this? I guess because I've got something to say. So in the last episode on self-esteem, I touched upon how it can be hard for women in particular to connect to and advocate for themselves. Um, And in that case, as it pertains to sexual desire. And I mentioned that it comes from conditioning. And today we're going to get into what conditioning that is the sociological context for it why it fucking sucks and how to inception that shit as usual i will start by giving you my credentials in the subject so you know you're in safe ish hands but babes before we go deeper pause and scroll to the bottom of your screen and rate the pod five stars if you want to email me hit up this body podcast at gmail and you can follow me on instagram at sophia forever and the pod is there too so yeah do that i'm going to focus a little on my life experiences 
starting with the pipeline from childhood ballerina to stripper to the Gen X cool girl archetype to living through the millennium and those weird years for women. I remember when I was a little girl. When I was a little girl, my mother sent me to ballet class. I was totally into it. And the beginners' classes were sweet and cute. But that didn't last. From the primary grade onwards, life as a child ballet dancer was grueling, both physically and mentally. And it's abuse. There's no getting around it. It's just the contract. Ballet is a twisted world of abuse. And most little girls fall off as soon as it ceases to be fun, like after the first six to 12 months. But not your girl here. Something in me liked the flash of the blade. (laughs) Not literally, there was no blade. But it was almost as if my teacher had a dull edge, which is her nicer side, and then the razor sharp edge that turned out teenage dance prodigies who would go off to Europe, join a company for a few years, and then very often become strippers in Berlin. (laughs) The pipeline from ballet to the strip pole is greased and open. It makes some sense, and of course it makes no sense. Ballet is an aristocratic, old-world art form with an emphasis on possible otherworldly femininity, swans and ghost women and the like. And it's the male gaze. It was refined and redefined by men like George Balanchine. It was the first male gaze I internalized five years old and internalized systematically over years and years and years of disciplined indoctrination. It's very interesting how useless these female feminine qualities are in modern life. The world I was born into allowed for women to work and be something other than swans, but I still wanted to be gazed upon. God, it's so hard to pass it out. Was it, what did I want? Love? Attention? Fame? Ballet is about looking effortless while doing so much. The neck, the shoulders, fingers and face must maintain grace and softness. Below the waist, the hips, legs and feet perform with brutal precision. The face denies the pain and the impossibility of sustaining this facade. To be a woman is to perform. (laughs) Have you seen that on TikTok? That cracks me up. To be a woman is to perform. And whilst we learn to perform, we learn a certain passivity where we disconnect from self and participate in our own objectification by only reacting to commands and learning to deftly intuit what is desired of our bodies. You may possibly be thinking, I'm not a misogynist. This doesn't apply to me. The term misogynist is colorful and loaded, like the word feminist, but if you break it down, internal means inside, coming from within. Um, Ised means we got it from outside, so bringing the outside in consuming and metabolizing something and misogyny refers to an ingrained prejudice towards women ingrained long before we got here inherited by every one of us so it's inherited it's stamped into our makeup exists in the collective eye an archetype of the psyche 
It's not a crime a singular person commits on their own, and therefore we ought to stop being so reactive to words with sharp-seeming edges. Misogyny, 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 misogynist. I'm a misogynist, you're a misogynist. Or perhaps more accurate to say with conviction that we all have misogynistic tendencies. It's an unconscious bias. So let's shine a light. For every individual, there is a specific way in which their personalized, internalized misogyny manifests. Obviously, there's the catty, competitive trope and the witch or the canonized whore, kind of biblical vibes, scapegoats for the majority to hide behind. For Gen X's, you may remember Laura Palmer from Twin Peaks, David Lynch's homecoming queen with a secret life, who was murdered to protect the town's secrets. If you're a Bravo fan, you'll be familiar with Scandaval and the canonization of Raquel Levis. The other woman in a scandal that ended a nine-year relationship between Ariana and the worm with a moustache, Tom Sanzaval. It's been 10 months since the Scandaval broke, during which time the public malfunctioning around Raquel, a woman in her 20s, showed our collective appetite to burn the witch. The early 2000s had Perez Hilton dehumanising Lindsay, Brittany, Paris and their cohort. Society just loves a whore to blame everything on. It's like we need it or something. So girls metabolise these messages. Doesn't matter what generation. that It's just there. Um, and make choices based on a distorted reflection of their sex. Like a fun house mirror, but not fun. So when you see yourself in a fun house mirror, all distorted, in our lives we do this self-monitoring practice where we disproportionately emphasize very specific practices of self while devaluing others, so like the performance of femininity. Um, Because our self-perception can be informed by many and at times competing forces, each of them grounded in a different area of patriarchy, kind of like a coordinated attack, not to get tinfoil hatty, but I think it's likely just the outcome, a more top-down plan from the beauty industrial complex to get the pink dollar. Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell wrote The Hero's Journey about the archetypes that exist in our collective psyche as they pertain to a male voyage to heroism in life. <laughs> it is an awesome book. I love it. And you should read it if you haven't read it. Um, and there's, of course, a centering of the male experience because patriarchy and the guy who wrote it is a guy. Consider that a large amount of research done in the past on women's health was conducted on actual men. Most health and psychology research is conducted in men and they're still the default subjects in medical research. You can see why the mirror that girls and women learn to perceive themselves through is warped and distorted because it's a version of the male gaze. A woman's health is seen through research on a male body. By destabilizing girls and women, a further fracturing happens. It's like an earthquake, you know? Life's such a crisis. We identify other girls and women who pose a perceived threat to us. The more beautiful, desirable, charismatic. To have mean girl syndrome, one doesn't have to be beautiful and popular. I'd say that that stereotype never really existed in any significant numbers. 
rather the beautiful, all-powerful bitch is a construct and the real mean girls of the world look like everybody. Oh my god, Becky, look at her butt. It is so big. Our current economy is now resting on the modern foundations of sharing on social media. It's all about comparison now and it's neurotic. And those kind of attitudes are capitalistic instruments that have us on the hook and separated from our pack. All the archetypes and presuppositions around female threat take up so much space. It really pulls us out of the moment. So for that reason alone, taking back our precious lifetimes, it's worth dismantling. The male gaze. The male gaze. The male gaze. Is a feminist theory that states that women are portrayed in cinema in objectifying and limited ways in order to normalize and perpetuate patriarchal society. The male gaze places women in the context of male desire. By valuing the desires of the male audience, the male gaze supports the self-objectification of women. It depicts the female body and personality as an object for men to view, own, and conquer. This is some shit that I internalized because I watched movies when I was young. This objectification of women has been prevalent in literature, cinema, and the visual arts throughout history. For example, in cinema, the camera often uses close-up shots to highlight female actresses' bodies and sexualized appearances. This style of filming places the desires and thoughts of the female character as secondary to those of the male characters. As I learned to do as a child ballet student, as a female child might learn unequal gender roles as their model to her in her home. So, trad wives. Where do they fit in? What the fuck is a trad wife, you might say? (laughs) Well, A trad wife, which comes with an accompanying trad wife aesthetic, because no one just lives their fucking lives anymore, there's an aesthetic for it all. A trad wife is someone who stays home and raises the kids, and that's it. Homemaker values with Mormon roots also being adopted by a corner of the female black community as a means to escape economic insecurity in a world hostile to them. So obviously these two things are not the same, But the hashtag is, so I'll just say that being a trad wife is about as old an idea as there is. And I think the othering side of feminist culture leaves some women feeling cold. The prescription of what a strong feminist should be, what they should look like, the kind of things that they should be interested in, all of that can be very stifling in itself. So... These chicks have their trad wife movement, kind of the same as the Stepford wife sort of vibe, except their influences or they want to be. To me, trad wives seem very closely aligned with the cool girl archetype, but without the coolness. <laughs> um, the embracing and affirming of, of men's humor, kowtowing to an idea of their superiority, Deferring to a male perspective. 
has a lot in common with being just one of the guys, a cool girl, which I personally have had a long struggle with. I think because my father left and I developed a fascination with the male brain because it was a total mystery to me. I believed a lot of the shit (laughs) that was fed to me by Hollywood and Disney and I craved a man's love. A straightforward and natural seeming way to get it was by being my intelligent self, but to have no feminine airs and graces about dirty jokes and sexist operating systems. <laughs> There's a interesting tension that develops between the need for that attention and the emergence of more and more self-awareness as time goes on. And for me, being defined by the Gen X cool girl archetype wasn't even something I was aware of at all because at the same time, I am a Gen X cool girl. But after a while, everything stopped serving. So the more angular parts of that archetype had to be identified and then had to go. There's this other thing that's come out of modern feminism, which is that... By definition, it's about women choosing, being able to choose, making their choices. I think the genesis of this broad idea, interpretation, came from a woman's right to choose to have an abortion or a woman's right to use birth control. I think it came from reproductive rights and might have been co-opted by the beauty industrial complex as part of the never-ending backlash against women. That's my By that I mean the right to choose bodily autonomy is now lumped in with the right to choose to get a Brazilian butt lift because that will make a woman feel more empowered about her ass, which in turn will make her happy because men like big asses and the beauty industrial complex is the driver of profits for so many corporate privatized medical interests. So instead of divesting from patriarchal control, and being able to get safe and legal abortions, more and more American women have safer access and an easier path to a BBL than they do to essential life-saving health care. And that's boring to hear, isn't it? Babe. So we sort of live in this world where we feel we've come such a long way from women's suffrage and our great-grandmother's lives. If we look at what the culture is plugged into, though, it's true crime, only fans, plastic surgery and fame, and the bottom line, money. Our grandmothers loosened and broke some bonds, but the net remains tight around us. We are conditioned to see other women as competition, and it's time-consuming to wade through those fake constraints. Let me tell you a story. Tell me a story. Once upon a time in Hollywood... I got married to a musician. (laughs) One day he came home from tour and I saw a message pop up on his phone when he was in the shower. Do you know where I'm going? Can you possibly guess where I might be going? (laughs) I found out who the girl was and I reached out to her and we went back and forth over text being very misogynistic to one another. And then, long story short, we became best friends. I divorced the musician. He was just an average player anyway, so I felt okay about that. 
And me and the other woman have been friends longer than I was married. If we buy into the lie that other women are our competition, we're saying that men are the prize. We're saying that our own character and charisma, our bodies, our beauty, is all in service of men? No. Men are great, and that's debatable. <laughs> but a girlfriend, friendship and love between women, in my opinion, is so powerful and generative that men have been trying to stop it since time immemorial. If you need a reason to start searching for and dismantling your own internalized misogyny, let it be FOMO, fear of missing out on gorgeous female connection and friendship. Same for hetero men. If you're listening to this, you know how good things are between the sexes when we're in harmony and we have admiration and appreciation. And you probably also know that empty, unsatisfactory feeling of missing the connection. Okay. Last words before our descent. I'm right on middle age. I'm at the precipice of the end of my reproductive years. Thank fucking God. But there's this insane thing called perimenopause, and that's the bit between the beginning of the end and the end. <sighs> God, and it can go on for 10 years. So we'll talk about that another time. But suffice it to say, while always ravishing, I am at a stage in life where negative connotations about my, my femininity are sort of in my face. I'll be 45 in a couple of months. I have a couple of friends in their 20s and some more in their 30s, all of whom I gaze upon at times and feel a certain feeling. And when I drilled into the feeling and investigated it without shutting myself down to it, I realized that it's not jealousy or envy it's a feeling of poignancy at the evidence of time and of our lives being subject to the laws of time. And there's a little fear, a fear of time running out and dying. Yeah, that's going to happen to everybody. And there's gratitude running concurrent because life's experiences have shown me that not all people live to be 30 or 40. So it's also... A little bit about going cold turkey on the culture. And it's very hard. There's no doubt about that. There really ought to be facilities we can check ourselves into to kick our mean girl habits. <laughs> and then a nice sober living place to be in support before coming back into the meat grinder. But at this juncture, there isn't such a place to my knowledge. And so all I could suggest is to play with acting counterintuitively when encountering latent mean girl syndrome within. Instead of hating your husband's mistress, befriend her. <laughs> she might not have even known he was married. Babes, we are now making our descent and the captain has turned on the seatbelt sign. Please extinguish all cigarettes and return your seat to the full upright position. Thank you for flying this body air. We will be landing shortly in Los Angeles, where the time is whatever you want it to be, and the temperature is cool. Enjoy your stay. I'll pick you up next week.